0: Well, as you wander through a cemetery, gazing at tombstones, I suppose the first thing that you might notice is the name, uh, but perhaps the, the second thing to catch your eye uh, would be those dates, you know, the date of birth and the date of death. And if you're quick with math, you can figure out how long that person lived. But, but, but then really, age is not really the important thing. What's important is the life that those dates represent, and that's represented by that little hyphen between those two dates. So so on some tombstones, there is what is called an epitaph, Some, some statement that tries to sum up the person's life. Here are some actual epitaphs, and I say they're actual because I got them off the internet so you know they're true. on on various tombstones around the country. In a New Mexico cemetery, here lies Johnny Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. They get cornier. In a Pennsylvania cemetery, here lies Jonathan Blake. Stepped on the gas instead of the brake. (laughs) In Nevada. Here lays Butch. We planted him raw. He was quick on the trigger but slow on the draw. This one's one of my favorites. You have to pay attention to this one. In Arizona, here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44. No less, no more. (laughs) In Virginia, on Margaret Margaret Daniels grave, she always said her feet were killing her, but nobody believed her. (laughs) New York, on Harry Smith's tombstone, looked up an elevator shaft to see if the car was on the way down. It was last one from England. Here lies Anna Mann who lived an old maid but died an old man. (laughs) Okay. So how do you want your epitaph to read? How do you want to be remembered? I'm going to let you think about that a moment. What is the thing that you want to be remembered most for? Many of you know Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith. There the author lists many Old Testament heroes of the f- faith by name, and then he gives us a little epitaph. No, no dates. Just what they are remembered for that got their names uh, in the list. For example... Abel is listed for the sacrifice that he offered to God. You remember the whole Cain and Abel thing. Uh, Noah is listed, of course, because he built a boat, built an ark. Abraham, among other things, is listed because when God called him to move, he did, he obeyed and went. Isaac made the list because he blessed Jacob and Esau about things to come. Then there's Jacob. All we read is by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, finally, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. What? Now that's kind of interesting. I mean, Jacob blessed Joseph's boys, you know, his own grandsons. That's Genesis 48. That, that's next week. But what is this worshiping while leaning on the top of his staff thing? Kind of obscure. Well, why does that make the list? Is that the way you want to be remembered? Then we read that Joseph made the list, and we go, well, of course. I and mean, we've just been studying his life. Uh, what we'll, we'll for? Did he make the list because he believed God about the dreams? Uh, no. Oh, because he stayed faithful during his years of enslavement and, and imprisonment in, in Egypt? N- no. Oh, I know, because he refused Mrs. Potiphar's uh, uh, evil advances? N- n- no. Because he f- faithfully interpreted other people's dreams? N- no. Oh, because even though he married that Egyptian, I got it, because he married that Egyptian priest lady or the daughter, he, he's, he still gave his boys Hebrew names. No. Uh, because he, sa- I, he saved all of Egypt from the famine. No. Uh, because he saved his family from a famine and relocated them to Egypt. That, that's it. You told us that's the purpose of the story. No. We read, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. What? I mean, that's all you got? It takes place in chapter 50. But of all of the great things that, that, that Joseph did, the thing that made the list. Were burial instructions. That was his epitaph? That's the way he's remembered? Yeah. You see, the point is these two that we've been studying, J- Jacob and Joseph, made the Hall of Faith because despite their difficult lives, and they were difficult. They remained faithful to the very end. They believed and worshipped God. How do you want to be remembered? You see, Hebrews 11.6 in the Hall of Faith says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is... And that he is a rewarder, a rewarder, something's coming of those who seek him. no matter how bad things have been, he rewards faith. Something better is coming. So, how do you want your epitaph to read? What do I want mine to read? He was a faithful husband and loved his wife all his life. Important, but no. Uh, He was a good father and raised six faithful children. Important, but no. He was a great expositor of God's word. No. He built a big, pretty new church building. No. Well, he, he built a great church. Important, but no. He believed God to the very end of his days. He believed that God is sovereign and that God is good and that no matter what happens, no matter what happens to me, God will faithfully fulfill his promises to his people because God is a promise-keeping God. Do you believe that? This marks the 11th week in our study of the life of Joseph. We began this journey together to be reminded that God will accomplish his good and glorious purposes in our lives. And that as he is doing that, while things are not always good, all things are always for our good. Meaning, we must we must live with the end in mind. Don't be too focused on right now. I know the world cries out for you to live for the moment. And I, I, I know they tell you this is it. I'm here to remind you this is not it. We must live with the end in mind. What do you want your end to be? God's good and glorious purpose in the life of Joseph was, was to move that family from Canaan to Egypt. And it was there that God would make a great nation of them, a nation through which the Word of God and the Son of God would come. But, but getting this, this family to Egypt involved some, some rather significant trials. Joseph, sold into slavery by his own brothers, spent 13 miserable years there, no fault of his own. That was only the beginning. He was separated from his family for 22 years, last two years of which was that severe famine infected, affected the entire then-known world. But God was accomplishing his good and glorious purpose, not only for the family but for all of humankind. We must always keep the end in mind. You see... Uh, Through all that we've studied over the past few weeks, it it was to get us to Genesis 46, verse 28. That was last week. Now Jacob sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they, that's the family, came into the land of Goshen. That's Egypt. That's the the climax of the story. Don't want to miss it. That is what God was doing. And so, I mean, that's the climax. And so this morning we get to the denouement, the events leading to the conclusion of the story, where the author, you know, that's Moses, he kind of wraps everything up. And and it's in the wrap-up that we see these main characters, Jacob and Joseph, doing things that got them into the hall of faith. It isn't up till now. And we will find that they make it into the hall of faith because they remained in Believing, they, 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 they had faith till the end of life. Struggling, <coughs> doubting. What do you want your epitaph to read? He went to the grave. Believing. God's purpose in getting them down to Egypt, we know, was to remove them from this pagan Canaan nation. Its evil influences make them a great nation. It would do no good to get to Egypt and be assimilated into that pagan culture. They had to be separate, maintain their religious and and national identity. So God um, worked to assure that by, by having them settle in Goshen. They would eventually need to return from, uh, to, from Egypt to the land of promise, which God had promised them for decades. It would not do for them to settle down in this well-watered plain and new land, new home and forget Canaan. So God worked to assure that. How? He enslaved them, you know, for a few centuries. Quite unpleasant. But, but then he worked to bring about the deliverance. We call that the Exodus. You see, God is always at work. He knows what he's doing. And in this week, we'll see he is even going to work in the life of the family after he gets them to Egypt. I I hope that through this study, you have learned that God is an active God. He is at work and nothing, doesn't matter what it is, not family jealousies, not international famine, not national boundaries, will keep God from accomplishing what he is doing in the lives of his people. Here's the question, do you believe that? I did. Some events that have happened in my life that have caused me to question. Really, God? Caused me to doubt. Really? You allow that? My encouragement to you this morning is to go to the grave believing God is sovereign and that God is good. So we arrive then at Genesis 47. Give you the outline of the chapter to guide us through this story. We're going to see the family finally standing before Pharaoh. And then we're going to see the, the results of this famine on the Egyptians. And then the results of the famine on the Israelites. And it will be quite different begin by reading verses 1 to 12 to see the family before Pharaoh. Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my, dad, my father and my brothers and their flocks, their herds, and all they have have come out of the land of Canaan. Behold, they are in the land of Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers, presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What, what is your occupation? They, they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They, they said to Pharaoh, We have come "...to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen." And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "...your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land." That might be a problem. "...and then, then let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my lives." like that might that might be a problem and then joseph brought his father jacob and presented him to pharaoh and jacob and jacob blessed pharaoh and pharaoh said to jacob, to jacob how many years have you lived what's going to be on your tombstone and jacob said to pharaoh well, the years of my sojourning are 130 and here's my epitaph few and unpleasant have been the years of my life nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. Do the math. You'll find they I didn't live as long. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and, and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and, and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. In the best of the land, in the land of Ramses. See Moses is writing years later. It was called the land of Ramses. As Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food. According to their little ones. Uh, Jacob told Pharaoh that his family had arrived. Notice he says they they brought their flocks, their herds. You see, he's kind of setting the scenes here. He's setting Pharaoh up. Listen, they're they're shepherds. He presents five brothers to Pharaoh. No need to overwhelm him with all 11 of them. He chooses five to represent the family. Uh, No doubt the five included Benjamin, right? Of course. Maybe Judah. Don't know for sure. But it's interesting. Rabbinic tradition... Says that it was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, and Benjamin. Reuben, Simeon, Levi—immediately, that's not a very impressive list, right? Because the idea is not that they move in next to Pharaoh. He did not want them to be too impressive. He just wants them to be able to stay in the land. Pharaoh asked them, "What's your occupation?" First question you ask somebody when you meet: them, What do you do for a living? Uh, They said, according uh, to Joseph's instruction, your servants are shepherds. And in three times, in keeping with proper court decorum, don't miss that. In keeping with proper court decorum, they refer to themselves as Pharaoh's servants. We're shepherds, which we remember is loathsome uh, to to Egyptians. They're detested because of the work they did. Uh, Egyptians were agrarian. Uh, They saw shepherds as barbarians. Barbarians. We're shepherds, both we and our fathers. That's our family vocation. We've come to sojourn in the land. Stop right there. That's an interesting word. Sojourn, you see, speaks of a temporary residence. They weren't planning to stay there forever. You only sojourned for a little while. No pasture for your servants' flocks. The famine is severe in Canaan. Please notice this famine that God brought destroyed the livelihood of the covenant family. That's interesting. I thought he took care of his ch- Well, he is. Now let your servants, or it is again your servants, live in the land of Canaan. I mean, in the land of Goshen, away from urban centers, away from Egyptian life and culture. It's great for shepherding. It's going to be a great incubator for us to become a great nation. Pharaoh grants their request. He says, Joseph, your family has come. Land of Egypt is, is before you at your disposal. Settle them in the best part of the land. That could be a problem. land of Goshen. Everything is working according to plan. Uh, but, but, but notice, if, if you know any capable men among them, any of your brothers are especially good shepherds, put them in charge of my livestock. Uh, one author, I think rightly notes, they had no sooner stepped foot into the land of Egypt when they are tempted to be assimilated into the culture. Uh, take the best of the land. Just settle down, stay, and, and take care of my flock. Move up the corporate ladder. No Reference that Joseph put them in charge of Pharaoh's livestock. They were there, but they were to remain separate to maintain their national and religious identity. After the brothers, Joseph presents his father uh, to Pharaoh. Two very quick things I want you to notice about this presentation. First, very interestingly, in contrast to the... To the, to the brothers, and in contrast to proper decorum, Jacob never refers to himself as a servant of Pharaoh. That's interesting. Here's a little old man, Jacob, 130 years old, standing before one of the most powerful men on the planet. But Jacob is the patriarch, he's the head of the family, the one that God, the true and the living God, is going to make it into a great nation. And through this nation, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed, even you, Pharaoh. You don't count. Now, how do, how, do, how, do we know, how do we know this? Because the second thing I want you to notice is we see that Jacob blessed Pharaoh when he walked in and greeted him. And when he left, he blessed him again. You say, well, big deal. In Hebrews 7, the writer gives us a very important principle. The lesser is blessed by the greater. Catch that? The greater person is always the one doing the blessing of the lesser person. And here's Jacob blessing one of the most powerful men in the world. The greater blessing the lesser? You bet. Because through this nation of which he is a patriarch, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. This man... There was was, with him. There was material and and physical and 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 powerful greatness. Had nothing compared to the spiritual greatness that resided with Jacob, and a greater blessed the lesser. It's always that way with God's children. It doesn't matter what they have. Doesn't matter about their riches, their power, their station in life. Don't we'll get proud here, but we are children of the King. We are greater, not because of us, but because of who our Father is. And we are expected, by the way, to bless those around us. God leaves us here to be a blessing. It is, by the way, in our, in our life groups that we've chosen the three Bs. Remember? That we have chosen, uh, that that we've said in our life groups, we want you to belong. We want a small group of people that you can be a part of, that can care for you and you can care for them. And not only that, we want you to become. We want you to become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, but that's not it. If that's it, we're missing it. We also want you to bless. We want your life groups to very intentionally find ways to bless those around you. We're supposed to do that as God's children. Pharaoh asked Jacob, how many years have you lived? What's going to be on your tombstone? Notice pessimist Jacob's response. The years of my sojourning are 130. Let me tell you about the little hyphen. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained uh, the years that my fathers have lived. Dad? Isaac, he lived to be 180. Grandpa uh, Abraham, he lived to be 175. Poor old Jacob, he only makes it to 147. And the years of his life, unpleasant. Just ask him, he'll tell you. Hey, but, but you know, there actually is some truth in that. If you were to read the earlier chapters of, of, uh, uh, in Genesis about Jacob's life, you would find he had to flee from his brother Esau and, and travel up to uh, Haran, uh, and he was away from his family. He, he worked for Laban uh, for seven years to get Rachel. Only he was deceived and got old sore eyes, Leah. He, he worked another 13 years for Laban and was continually cheated out of fair wages. His favorite wife, Rachel, he finally got was barren. But, but, but then God gave, finally gave Rachel some boys. Only he lost his favorite wife when she bore him the second son. He lost his favorite son, Joseph, for 22 years. His other sons? <laughs> well, not much to write home to mom about. And then most recently, he had to flee the, the land of promise because of this severe famine. His life had been quite unpleasant. All according to... To the plan of God. All things were not against him. All things were for him. Does Jacob ever figure this out? We'll see. He blesses Pharaoh and then leaves. Now notice verses 11 and 12. Joseph settled his family in the area of Goshen and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt. You see that? In the best of the land, they own title. And Joseph provided food for the father's household. During the years of famine that were left, the family always had food. So they have land, they have food. Don't miss that because we are supposed to notice that. It's to be contrasted with the verses that follow. The the effect of the famine on the Egyptians, which brings us to our second point. Look at verse, verse 13. Now, there was no food in all the land. Well, Joseph had it. Jacob's family had it. Yeah, you're supposed to notice that. No food in all the land because the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Joseph gathered all of the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's Pharaoh's house. Sounds like I don't know, it looks to me like Pharaoh's being blessed. Uh, when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? Our money's gone. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and all the donkeys, and he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock. Um, that year sounds to me like Pharaoh's being blessed. When, when that year ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide f- from my Lord that our money is all spent. The cattle are my Lord's. There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? by us and our land for food. And, and we and our land will be slaves to, to Pharaoh. Looks to me like Pharaoh's being blessed. So, So give us seed that we may have that we may live and not die, and the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all of the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. And every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them to the cities. One end of Egypt border to the other. That's just to easier to take care of them. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. He's taking care of his in-laws. For the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. And then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I, I'm a good guy. I, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow the land. At the harvest, you shall give a fifth Twenty percent to Pharaoh, and four fish shall be your own for seed and field, uh, seed of the field, and for food and, and for those of your household and your little ones. So they said, "You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves." Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day. Remember, Moses is writing later that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. I want to make just a few comments. Uh, on these verses. There's only really two points um, that, that we're, supposed, we're supposed to get. First, don't miss it. Jacob walks into Pharaoh and blesses him. And as a result of that blessing, Pharaoh, in the verses that fa- follow, becomes rich and richer and, and richest. And he becomes even more powerful. Pharaoh, you see, blessed the family, the covenant family, by giving them the best of the land, and now God was blessing Pharaoh. Because you see, God told Abraham, the ones that bless you, I'll bless. That's what he was doing. But secondly, and more importantly, we're supposed to notice the difference here between the Egyptians and the covenant family, God's people. The famine was severe. The people of Egypt and Canaan, notice that word, they languished because of the famine. The family, they lived fat and happy. As a result, the people, Egypt, uh, bought the stored grain. Joseph gathered the money throughout the land, brought it into Pharaoh's house. Money gone. Next year, livestock. Soon, um, uh, that was all gone. He gets richer and richer because of Joseph's wise administration and because of Jacob's blessing. Run out of livestock. Next year, Joseph uh, took the land as payment. All of the land except the priests becomes Pharaoh's. Not only that, Joseph bought the people for Pharaoh. They become indentured servants. Joseph sets up this feudal system. He gave them seed, told them, go plant it. Four-fifths of the harvest, keep for yourselves. Only one-fifth will be Pharaoh's. People are actually quite... Happy with the arrangement, verse 25, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord. We will be Pharaoh's slaves. Please notice, while Egypt was wasting away, God was taking care of his children. Verse 27 says they were, we haven't read that yet, becoming fruitful and numerous. (laughs) They're supposed to. Egyptians were languishing, Israelites are flourishing. The the Israelites were giving up their land, the Israelites are gaining land, acquiring property, property, verse 27. Interesting principle, I'll just point it out, in the middle of the economic challenges that, that we're facing today. God will take care of his people while the rest of the world may be in a famine, Financial famine, economic famine, no problem for God. He will take care of us. Say, well, really? I didn't say you'd be rich. I didn't say you'd be prosperous. I want to remind you that the Israelites faced severe hardship before they moved to Egypt. And after they moved there, they're going to be enslaved and mistreated for centuries, all according to God's plan. God will take care of you all according to plan. Can't you trust him? So well, I don't really feel like it. I'm really beginning to question, I'm beginning to doubt. That's that's the problem. Let me deal briefly with this issue of Joseph enslaving the Egyptians. I mean, volumes are written on this particular chapter. I mean, Joseph, they say, becomes this despotic dictator. However,. Consider these thoughts very quickly. First, it was the Egyptians' idea to buy grain with their money, then their livestock, then their land and themselves. Second, we see no cruel, ruthless treatment. Rather, a feudal system was set up which was designed to care for the people. I know we're Americans, freedom and all of that stuff. You do understand it was not God necessarily who set up democracy. If he were going to set up a government, it would be a theocracy. I know we think we're right and everyone else is wrong. Feudal system worked great. Third, to just give away the grain without cost would have created a massive welfare state with lots of entitlement issues. I'll just reserve comment on that. (laughs) Fourth, the people did not complain. Again, they were quite grateful for the arrangement. Fifth, under this feudal arrangement, the tax was 20%. That's really not a bad tax, even today. Brings us to our last point the famine in the Israelites. And really, this is where I want to get to this morning. Famine in the Israelites. Look at verses 27 to 31. While the Egyptians are languishing, now Israel lived in the land of Egypt, in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so that the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and and, and said to him, please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh. That was their way of crossing their heart, okay? Place your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please, do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And Joseph said, I will do as you have said. And Jacob said, Swear to me. So Joseph swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. There it is. There it is. That's Jacob's epitaph. That's what got Jacob into the hall of faith. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of his bed. What what does that mean? You'll see. Verse 27. First time in the Bible the nation is referred to as Israel. Israel lived in the land and they acquired property. They become fruitful and and, and numerous all according to plan because God was making them into a great nation to bless you. And don't forget it's going to cost them slavery for you. You questioning, you doubting? He did that for you. Fast forward through the five remaining years of famine, because Moses does, through 17 years that Jacob lived in Egypt. Length of his life, we read, is 147. It's now time for him to die, finally. And what does he do? He calls Joseph to his deathbed and said, please. He's he's almost pleading. If I have found favor in your sight, please do not bury me in Egypt. When I lie down with my fathers, please carry me out of Egypt and bury me in the family plot. Now, that was the, it was the only piece of land in the land of promise that they owned to this point. It's the cave of Machpelah. It was here that Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Leah um, were buried. He says, that's where I want to be buried. Here's the big question. Why? But Why? Because Egypt, Jacob says, is not my home. I am not in the land of promise. Jacob is saying, God made some promises to grandpa. God made some promises to to, to dad. God made some promises to me. And I believe that God is going to keep those promises. Bury me where I belong. The land that God promised to me. Joseph swore to him that he would. And Israel, notice, not pessimistic, unbelieving Jacob. Israel bowed his head in worship. And he believed God to the end of his life. Even though life had been unpleasant, even though things were not good, he finally seems to figure out that all things were not against him. All things were for him. And he worshiped. That's what I want my epitaph to read. He believed to the great. No matter how bad things get, no matter how unpleasant things get, no, no matter what happens a week from Tuesday, God is faithful. He is in control. And He's good. And I will worship Him all the days of my life even on my deathbed. That's what got him into the hall of faith. He finally figured it out. You see, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16, right in the middle of that list, say these words. All these in the list died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, For he has prepared a city for them. Do you believe that? That's who I want to be. I want to live by faith and I want to die by faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. If Jesus does not come back in my life, no matter how good or how bad life is, I want to go to my deathbed believing the promises of God, that He is God, that He is good, that He is sovereign, and that He has prepared a city for me. Do you believe that? Let's stand for prayer. Father, you've gone to an awful lot of effort to redeem us. An awful lot of effort to prove that you are a faithful, promise-keeping God. Would you forgive us for doubting? Would you forgive us for questioning? And would you help us to bless you? Not as the greater blesses the lesser, but in the term, in in words of, of praising you to the very end of our days. In Christ's name we pray.